don't know what to say to that. <laughs> um, thanks. Uh, by the way, you are all amazing. Um, okay, well, first of all, before I say anything, I just want to uh, big up all of you uh, for representing Longsight at Breaking Down Barriers last night. Um, uh, we were really encouraged and, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for all of those of you who came and, and showed your support. Um, yeah, today uh, I want to talk about uh, loving your neighbour. Um, okay, so uh, if you open your Bibles um, to Matthew chapter 22. And verses 34 to 39. This is from the, the New Living Translation. Okay. And I just wanted to point out before I read this scripture, in my Bible it's subheaded the most important commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but a second is equally, equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Loving your neighbor as yourself is found in the Bible eight times. Not once, not twice, but eight times. Loving your neighbor is so important to God that he not only repeats himself, but he makes it a command. And not just one in a list of many commands. Jesus said, Jesus said, it is equally as important as the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Why did he say that? Because you and I and everyone out there are his creation, made in his image. You see, you can't have one commandment without the other. It's impossible you see, we, we say we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. But if that is the case, and if that is the truth, then surely the more we love him, the easier it is to love ourselves and our neighbor. And the more we want to love them, the more we desire to love them, the more we go after loving them. But the reality is, and let's face it, 
Loving your neighbor as yourself isn't always easy. And that's why God made it command, because he knew that we'd struggle. But making it a command is actually to our benefit. How is that? Well, we have to do it on purpose. It's a command. Be intentional about it. But what does loving our neighbor mean? Can you, can you give me some examples? Come on, let's have a bit of interaction. Can you give me some examples about what loving your neighbor means? What are the, some of the things that you may have done to express the love of God to your neighbor in a practical way? Anybody shout out anything? Respect, okay. Buying them stuff, yeah. Cooking for them is always good. Everybody likes food. Listening, really important. Talking to them about good news, giving them hope. Yeah, that's good. Checking on them when you don't see them. Really good one, Esther. Thank you. Pardon? Taking the wheelie bins out. Yeah, that's a great one. It is. It's really practical stuff. But what it says is that I care about these people. I want to go out of my way and take a bit of time to show some love. Okay. Loving your neighbor means receiving, receiving God's love. Because without God's love, we can't love our neighbor. And to begin to love your neighbor as yourself, you need to know two things. You need to know what love is and that you are loved. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. You see, you and I and everyone out there are the object of his love. God loves you. Knowing this is imperative if we're going to love our neighbors and not just loved in a general kind of way, but deeply loved and unconditionally loved. And we tap into this when we understand that God loved us first. He is the source of our love. God loved us before Jesus even gave himself up for us. God the Father is the source of all love. And before we can give this love, we need to receive it for ourselves. See, God's love is it's a gift to us. We've not earned it. It's a gift. And it's in us. And that's great, but God's intention is not for us to keep that love to ourselves. It's for us to release it, to let it go. So we need to release it to others through words and actions. You see, left dormant, God's love will stagnate like a pool of water. And we all know how smelly pools of water are when they stagnate. In the Bible, there are two seas in Israel. There is the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Uh, The northern Sea of Galilee is fed from the, the south, 
uh, sorry, from the north, and in turn feeds the famous River Jordan to the south. However, the Southern Sea is in receive mode only. Water flows in, but none flows out. And it's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives in it. And therefore, no life comes out of it because it is stagnant and keeping the water to itself. One sea is full of, sl- is full of flow. The other sea is full of woe. <laughs> um, but you get the illustration. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave. And this changed everything for all eternity. Do you realize that you can change things forever? You can change things forever. With your neighbors, in your community, in your workplace, you can change things forever. You see, if God's love is left dormant in us, I believe, this is a personal opinion, I believe it can cause us to become selfish and inward and focused on our own problems and our own worries. We become self-centered. I also believe that not releasing God's love and leaving it dormant can induce low moods. This then affects our relationships, firstly with God, And we begin to feel distant from him, we communicate less with him, we pray less for others, we don't read the word. And this ultimately then affects the relationships of those around us. See, the the irony is that the more we try to hold Jesus in, the more stagnate we become. Let me say that again. The more we try to hold Jesus in, the more stagnate we become. Even though the Dead Sea is polluted with chemicals, it could be swept clean if only there was an ongoing supply of fresh, clean water. In other words, the Dead Sea could find life again if it would open up and let go. In John 7 and 37 and 38, Jesus says, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And if we are to live for Jesus, then let's live every day by opening ourselves to him and let rivers of living water flow through us. Love others, listen to others, forgive others, be in community with others, no matter what your circumstances or surroundings. My friend and work colleague Dave says... 
People don't care what you know until they know that you care. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And what does caring look like? Caring can mean lots of things to, to different people. So caring for people means, actually, it means you have to spend time with them. It means you have to get to know them and get to know their story. It actually means that you might have to sacrifice some things that you like doing or that take your time. Um, and that can mean lots of things, different things to different people. But it might be things like watching TV. I watch too much TV. It might mean going to the gym less. It might mean spending less time on, on social media. And instead of doing these things, we prioritize focusing on others in our communities. And therefore, we become less focused on ourselves. You may, you know, you may have heard stories such as uh, children growing up to be doctors after watching a parent die from an illness. Adults, once drug addicts themselves, become counsellors or support workers. Or a man whose daughter died in a car accident starts a school to teach driving skills to teens. Time and again, we see that people's greatest passions in life are often born from their deepest pain. And they become what many call a wounded healer. Someone whose own pain serves as inspiration to help others in similar circumstances. Um, My mum left my dad when I was 10. uh, And this resulted in me and my sister being homeless for a a couple of school terms. Um, My stepfather was abusive. Uh, And I was scared and lonely most of my childhood. Is it any wonder then that I have such a passion to see strong marriages, healthy parenting, and a society that encourages thriving families rather than tearing them apart? And And of course, a heart for people experiencing homelessness. What about you? The pain you've suffered, because we've all suffered pain. The pain you've suffered may not motivate you to create a whole new career, like it did for me. But I hope it will inspire you to come alongside others. You see, I think that those who are suffering don't need instruction. They need to know that you care. They need someone unafraid to sit beside them in their dark experiences Someone to share the misery of what they're going through and give them some hope. And you've been there, so your compassion, your very presence in the midst of the difficulties they're facing may be the very thing that God uses to help them find strength and to point them to the one whose wounds ultimately heal us. Compassion. I don't know what compassion means to you. Um, you know, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to not make this all doom and gloom. Um, 
You know, this is ultimately about Jesus and the Jesus that lives in us and us allowing that Jesus to be displayed and allowing that river of life to flow from us to those around us. You know, and when I say those around us, there are hurting people all around us, crumbling marriages, teenagers in crisis, friends and family members struggling to keep their lives together. Showing compassion to people enduring difficult trials like this opens the door for them to heal. But what sort of emotions reflect genuine compassion? Sadness, concern, pity. It's an important question because we can only offer authentic compassion when we understand what it is. The English word compassion is actually derived from two Latin words. The first means with, and the second means to suffer. So taken together, the word compassion literally means to suffer with someone. It involves not just feeling sympathy for another person's misfortune, but a willingness to respond by taking action on their behalf. See, Christian compassion doesn't stand aloof from someone in pain, feeling sorry for their circumstances, all the while remaining detached and uninvolved. It requires us to enter into the suffering with those around us. In certain cases, this may mean doing what we can to alleviate someone's problems, But even when we can't, we can still actively engage in their pain the way scripture instructs us by weeping with those who weep and struggling alongside those who struggle. Um, Anna, my amazing wife, uh, a few years ago started to get to know one of our neighbours Uh, I won't name the lady, but she started to get to know her through school. She lived on our street, and uh, she'd often walk to school with her and her children. And uh, she began to develop just a a connection, a friendship with this lady. Um, And that friendship uh, turned into meaning that sometimes she would ask us to look after her children. Um, And then... She went through a tough time. She had an accident at work, which ultimately meant that she lost her job. Um, and this, this lady I'm referring to was in her mid-20s. Um, and then, not only did she lose a job, she was then diagnosed with cancer with two young children and a partner. Um, and Anna not only got alongside her, Um, and offered her time and her love and her compassion and her care. But what she did is she offered some hope. So she told her, she shared the story of the gospel with her. She often prayed with her. And I know that Anna involved you in some of those prayers, um, believing Jesus to heal her. And so I just gave that as an example of, you know, I think sometimes... Hear me right here. Uh, We 
We hear the word evangelism or reaching out to others and it, and it, it kind of sometimes freaks us out. And we think, oh no, evangelism, I've got to go and tell everyone about Jesus. But actually sometimes, and there are places for that, sometimes what it means is that we just got to love our neighbour. We just got to get involved in their lives. We just got to get stuck in and make connection with people. Praise God that this lady is now free from cancer. She's moved away to another area, but does that mean that we no longer love her or care about her? No. She still brings her children, still go to the local school, and Anna and her still meet up and pray. Paul, uh, who is, and I got Paul's permission to share this, uh, Paul's um, a resident at Homes of Hope. Some of you who were at Breaking Down Barriers last night would have heard his story. Um, so Paul uh, had 20 years of heroin addiction and crack cocaine and all the lifestyle that goes with that, in and out of prison. Um, yeah, chaotic relationships. Um, Paul came to us last year uh, really seeking some help and wanting to stop living the life that he was living. Um, and we welcomed him with open arms and we loved him and we spent time with him. But he was still caught in the pain of his history and uh, the struggles that he had with his addiction. And I'm not going to go into my experiences and my belief about addiction, but addiction always comes from pain. And Paul, uh, unfortunately, through various choices, uh, ended up having to leave Homes of Hope. We, we evicted him because he was having an effect on not only himself and his own safety, but the other people in the house. But does that mean that we gave up on him? No, it doesn't mean we gave up on him. He chose to do certain things that resulted in consequences that meant he lost his home. But about six or seven months later, I really felt prompting just to uh, connect with him again. Um, So I rang him, uh, and he just happened to be in a a hostel uh, in Rochdale. And, um, you know, he said that he'd, he'd, he'd reflected on some of his actions and some of the things he'd done. Um, and he didn't like the place where he was. So I I just really felt compelled to invite him back to Homes of Hope, and and we did. So we didn't give up on him because he'd chosen to do what he'd chosen to do. Um, We still loved him. We still accepted him, and that was in February this year. Um, He's now uh, born again, baptized in water and the Holy Spirit, He's on the United School of Ministry in Manchester. um, And he's still learning about himself. Because the thing is with addiction or with some of the guys that come to us, they might come to us in their 30s or 40s. um, But a lot of them have actually started on that path of addiction when they were 13 or 14. So when they come to us, physically they might be 30 or 40, but actually... Emotionally, psychologically, they're just 14 and 15 still. Some of the life skills that they've never learned that we take for granted, 
They've never learned them. They don't know about them. They don't know how to deal with conflict, how to love other people. And so that takes time and it takes encouragement. It takes discipline. It takes, um, it takes correction. Um, and that is, yeah, it takes time. Um, Romans 12.2 says... Don't copy the behaviours and customs of this world. Um, and that's what a lot of people do, isn't it? They just copy the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And this is part of discipleship. And it takes time. It takes time to disciple somebody. It takes time to get in their lives and show them another way to live and to encourage them in another way of thinking or approaching life. The message says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Um. Yeah, I'm sure uh, all of us here have been to the, the dentist at some point. Um, you may have even taken your child to the dentist. Uh, I know I've been to the dentist many a times and thought, I think most of us would agree that we don't particularly enjoy going to the dentist. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about hurt uh, and harm. And so... When you go to the dentist or when you take your child to the dentist, you might see them hurt. But actually what the dentist is doing is he's preventing harm. He's preventing further harm by filling in a cavity or taking out a tooth or dealing with an abscess or an infected gum. Um, and it's, it's painful to watch your child having a cavity or, or in pain. Um, but actually... It's that hurt only lasts for a short period of time. Yeah, there's no harm done to that person or that child. Um, and really, I'm talking about that because the same concept can be applied, but more broadly, to a reality that many families face. A loved one loses their way in life and winds up involved in destructive behaviour. If you've ever been in circumstances like this, or if you're there now, then you know firsthand the challenge of making hard choices about a loved one's behavior. Tough love is often required, but interventions, having someone from the home or structured marital separations can be overwhelming decisions. Part of the struggle is the failure to distinguish between hurting someone and harming them. Trust me, I understand that tough decisions about a loved one are hardly the same as a trip to a dentist. But the principle is what matters. Our choice to help someone, and that may involve challenging them, may involve correcting them. But actually, it may heal them. But it won't harm them. Sorry, it may hurt them, but it won't harm them. Uh, as Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable 
while it is happening, uh, it's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And we know, we know that the Lord takes this very approach with us for our own benefit. John three sixteen, God so loved that he gave. This changed everything for all eternity. And I want to say it again. Do you realize that you can change everything forever? In a moment, in a period of time, by taking the wheelie bin out, by getting alongside somebody and not giving up on them. So you may have tried to make connections or friends or you may have tried to help somebody in your street or down the road or in your community or in your workplace. But you've given up because there's, no, there's nothing back. You're not getting anything back from it. But I just want to encourage you today not to give up, to keep caring, to keep loving, to keep praying for the people in our community. It saddens me, and I'm just being honest here, Dave said sometimes I offend people and I don't say things to offend people and if I offend you I apologise. It saddens me to stand here and see empty pews Um, and we've been here three years now And my heart is, it weeps because, you know, there's a community, there's a lot of people out there who are hurting, who need to know the love of Jesus. And we are not going to extend the kingdom of God if we don't make some sacrifices and we don't take on board the truth that Jesus loves us. And he wants to love other people through us. Um, Collar is going to play a song for us now. But before he does, um, this song, uh, it talks about uh, a lot of things that are wrong in the world. um, And we can all think about those things and we see it all the time in the media, on the news Um, poverty, injustice whatever there are loads of things going wrong in this world Uh, and at one point in the song he says that he asked God why don't you do something God and God says I did. I created you. So, to repeat some of the words in the song, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? You see, our neighbours, our work colleagues, the lost, the lonely and broken need you and I and need us now. Can you play the song, please? Now, now, then, when? 